foodie. Foodie. From the Not A Foodie studio in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn, it's the Not A Foodie show on Radio Rampa, 620 AM, and on your local podcast dial. I am Tom Mialli, and with me as always is... Mike Maranti. Hey, Mike. You ready to talk uh, food and food culture? And food news. And food news. It's food news. Food news. For those of you who don't listen, that's our jingle. Food news. Mike, you have some food news you want to talk about? Yeah. Um... This is more like a, a crime against food. Oh, there's plenty of those going on. Yeah. Um, what's it called? The Fresh Market, which is like a like a Wegmans type thing. There's 161 locations yeah. throughout the U.S. Are they? What, are are they? They're not the ones that like it in gas stations, are they? Fresh Market? No. 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 They're they're like regular. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I'm not too familiar with them. Uh, they're gonna be begin selling a Monte guacamole cheese. Um, okay, so I saw this run across my Twitter feed, and I just saw this, like, pale green glob of cheese, and I had to stop and read it, because I, honestly, it looked like weed butter to me. Yeah, um, I, a million percent. And so I had to stop and I looked at it. So explain what it is. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just it's what it sounds Gouda like, right? It's a Gouda-style cheese. It's a Gouda-style cheese. With avocado, lime juice, chili, tomato, onion, and garlic. And you can shred it on top of nachos, or you can melt it down into queso. I, side note, I think calling melted cheese queso is stupid. Well, yeah, I mean, there's queso. Queso means cheese, yeah. but like, but also queso, like a queso dip or yeah. something like that. But is just, melted just to cheese. say, yeah. like, I'm not gonna melt the cheese into queso is a stupid sentence. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, and so uh, it's available now, Wednesday, May first. Okay, it's out in all 161 stores. Um, I think, so I think it's, um, I think two things jump out at me initially about this whole thing. Number one, completely unnecessary, like completely yeah, unnecessary. No. Like, why do you well, need to mix your cheese with your so, avocado? So to quote, uh, Jurassic Park. <laughs> yes. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. All right, Jeff Goldblum. That's <laughs> that quote. What's his name? Ian Malcolm? Yes, yes Dr. Ian Malcolm. <laughs> Ian Malcolm. Avocado uh, cheese. Yes. Yeah. It, it applies. It making totally T-Rexes, applies. making guacamole cheese, both <laughs> crimes against nature, humanity, food. So so yes, it does it does not need to exist. Yes, that is the first thing that jumped out at me. The second thing that jumped out at me is that I don't know about you, but I don't like my avocado warm. Like I, I like I, if you're gonna melt it on top of something, I'd rather have like chunks of avocado mm-hmm. on it, not warm tasted me- avocado melted into cheese. Have, I don't like that avocado flavor melted into cheese. Have you had or have you seen the um, dessert hummus well, from Boar's Head? Yeah, I mean, it's just what is it? It's, it's like chocolate hummus, and that's also a crime against food. Well, it's not really hummus, right? No, it's chickpeas. It's it's literally chickpea hummus. Okay. With chocolate incorporated into it. And yeah, no, I don't. It's why? a disgusting thing. I mean, if you were going to like chop up hazelnuts and put chocolate in it and call it Nutella, I guess yeah, Nutella. It, like, that. It yeah, it doesn't, it shouldn't exist. It's a, it's a borderline hate crime. 
Um, <laughs> against against, uh, against what? the Middle Eastern, against, <laughs> against the Middle East. And like it might bring the middle, it might bring peace to the Middle East as like a common enemy. <laughs> the enemy is Boar's Head. Like, yes. That's good. That's how you bring peace to the Middle East is invent something that they could all, uh, your enemy of your enemy is my friend. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> uh, I have, I have um, more avocado based food news. Um, how much longer avocado is going to be like a thing? I don't know. I don't know, but this is ridiculous. And this is like, I think this is the precipice right here. This article that I'm about to, to, to mention. I like avocados. I do too. But, I, I like I, I love avocados, but I don't love them like where I have to eat them every single day and my life does not result. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll have avocado like on an egg wrap maybe once a week, maybe once every couple weeks. I'll put it on a BLT, you know, I think that's great. But other than that, I mean, they're avocado. And I love guacamole too, but like I don't define, like my life is not defined by having to have mm. avocado toast in the morning. Although, according to this article, um, well, first of all, uh, this is it, this does not play, take place in the United States. This is an offer that's being made in Vancouver, Canada. Okay. In Vancouver, Canada, if you have three hundred thousand dollars, you can buy a condo in this one development. Okay. And if you put your down payment down, you get one year of avocado toast for free from this like development. They will so give you get you, free breakfast for a year. You get free avocado toasts. Um, yeah, I forget what it is. You you get a gift card to a local restaurant that has enough cash for one a week. Fifty two orders of avocado toast, one for oh. every weekend of the year. So the property developers are, you know, basically saying they're reducing the down payment that you put down on the house, and they're giving you, they're making it up with like you get a gift card. So yeah, it's ridiculous. It's a Obvious marketing ploy. Number one, it's a marketing ploy to try to get millennials to buy houses. But number two, it's a marketing ploy because they just want to be in the news. Like, they want to be mm -hmm. in the news. Like, they're a millennial-based development company, blah, 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 blah. So, What do you get for $300,000? You get, uh, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how big it is. But it's in... Vancouver's it's supposed in Vancouver. to be a pretty cool city. Vancouver is awesome. Vancouver is such a nice city. And $300,000, um, it will probably buy you a studio in Vancouver. Vancouver is pretty expensive. Um, but yeah, no, so there's, there's another Vancouver or another avocado, um, news. I have one more thing. It's, this is the intersection of avocados and millennials and blah, 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 blah. This is another article that I've seen, and this is from Restaurant Business Magazine. This is, why is restaurant traffic falling? Why is restaurant traffic falling, Mike? Uh, it's the millennials' fault. Everyone, and look, I'm going to turn this article around. What is the title of this? Blame, why is restaurant traffic falling? Blame millennials. Yes. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's, I feel like, oh, I'm gonna, when people don't understand something, they blame millennials. And people it. don't know what a millennial is anymore. Because, like, <laughs> millennials from, like, five years ago aren't 20-year-olds anymore. Right. They're 25-year-olds. Like, it does. it's not like millennials are just, like, 18 to 25 year olds. It's people that were born from this year to this year. So like they keep getting older too. Like Yeah. Well, and and yeah, you know what? Saying blame millennials is is a cop out. Like blame technology, new technology. Blame bad restaurants. Blame... You know how many bad restaurants there are? Yeah. There's a lot of bad restaurants. I'm gonna hot take 90% of restaurants are bad restaurants. Well, in your opinion, they're bad restaurants. Or not bad, well, not bad, not good. As in, like, average or below. Okay. I, 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 hmm. I don't know if I agree with you on that. Average or below, 
90% are average or below. Yeah, that's fine. Uh-huh. 90% are that average it, or below. Of all re- so that includes all the chain chilies and all that. 90% of restaurants that exist are average or below average. Yes, but I'm fine with an average restaurant as long as I'm paying average prices. Yeah, which you, you can't do in New York City. Well, I, I, that's the, the one thing that really, you know this about me. Like, I will go and I will pay exorbitant amounts of money for a meal and I will go and I will pay... $2 for, you know, tacos and red beans and rice or whatever it mm-hmm. is, like street food. And I'll be happy either way. What really, 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 like, really makes me angry is mediocre food at exorbitant prices. And I, like, it just makes me, it makes me crazy because there are so many other dining options out there, especially in New York, that you mm-hmm. can get a better value for. So, I, so yeah. You think that this is because of bad restaurants? You think that there's too many bad restaurants out there? I think that people... One, I think home cooking is getting a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. Just the way the way restaurants are, too. Like, food in general is Well, I mean, I popular. remember reading an article two years ago that's saying that millennials are killing home cooking because they go out to dinner too much. Yeah. I think there's just too much, like, mm-hmm. hysteria over millennials ruining things. Like, it's an easy scapegoat. The only one that I agreed with was millennials killed the nap- the paper napkin. Okay. And it's 100% true because people just buy paper towels because they're significantly better <laughs> in every way. You're talking about, like, at home. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah millennials I mean... are killing the paper napkin. Good. Like... <laughs> I have no opinion on this whatsoever. I mean, I'll use either interchangeably pretty much. Uh, It's not against the napkin. It's just like, why are you going to buy that when you just buy paper towels? Yes. But, you know. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for food news. For more hot takes on... On restaurants food, are bad. Restaurants, follow us. Paper at, napkins are bad. At not a foodie show on Long Twitter. Live the paper towel. At not a foodie show on Instagram. And that's it. We'll be back in a minute. This is the not a foodie show on Radio Rampa, six twenty a.m. Hey everyone, it's Tom from the Not a Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking for ways to reach a large, influential cooking and restaurant loving audience? We've got multiple marketing solutions available. Contact info at notafoodie.com for more information. And we are back. Back with the Not A Foodie Show on Radio Rampa, 6.20 a.m. And I don't know, what is this on your podcast dial? It's the Not A Foodie Show on Not your podcast show. dial. Mike, let's talk about um, street food. Okay. Let's talk about, I mean, I... I want to talk about it because Netflix just released this new... So there's a couple of things. There's Netflix releasing this new documentary series called Street Food. Also, the past couple weeks were the first weeks in New York City um, of the Queens International Night Market, which is a festival of street food. And it's shout one out of John our, our favorite events. Yeah, shout out to friend of the radio show, John Wang. Um, so springtime is here in New York. Street food is where it's at. I think that street food is sort of the ultimate not a foodie, foodie food. Yeah, oh, a million percent. So it's something that can be done amazingly well. It is nine times out of ten authentic, and it's delicious. And we always said when we were recording, when we started the Not A Foodie Show, that the Not A Foodie Show is about um, sort of... Finding good food. Finding good food and not putting it up on a pedestal. So that means eating really, really fancy stuff and appreciating it, but also appreciating street food stuff. So Pupusas from the Queen's Night Market. Yeah, or pupusas or like 
tacos in under the Queensboro Bridge in you know in in Long Island City and things like that. So let, let's talk about street food for a little bit. What I mean, you've traveled around. You were yeah, in Thailand last I did year. One of the night markets in Thailand. What was your favorite thing to eat at the night market in Thailand? Um, so I went with a my friend's girlfriend is from Thailand. Okay. And her friend lived in Bangkok. So she met me at my hotel and she took me to a night market and we went in uh, boat noodle soup. Oh, love boat noodles. But she's like, I'm going to order it the way I like it for you. And I was like, yeah, okay, perfect. And like the, the soups in Thailand are the best soups. <laughs> All right. There you I, go. That's I, a very I, general like, generalization. Very the, the soups in Thailand are so good. <laughs> Because I feel the starters are like super old and they just like keep adding to them and like uh-huh. like a Solera system of like soup. <laughs> and, and there's like, yeah, sourdough this, starter is a yeah. soup. Yeah. So they're just super complex and rich and spicy and sweet and a million different flavors at once and killer. Yeah. I, that's what always got me about Thai food and, and actually about really good like Chinese um, noodle soup is the complexities of the broth. Like mm-hmm. there's just thousands of flavors that are just hitting you all at once. But so anyway, go ahead. So boat noodle soup was so that was the best thing I ate. Mm-hmm. I had squid eggs, which were disgusting. What? I I don't think I've ever had squid They're, eggs. They are disgusting. I just tried them because I was in the. I mean, they look like caviar. No, they they look like like ball like golf balls almost. No. Yeah. Yeah, they're that big. Uh huh. They're and the rubbery and disgusting. Oh. I okay. also had a cricket. Yeah, crickets. I've had crickets. I, I just I was like, let me try one. And crickets bit, don't have any flavor. They, they're just you they're know. just fried. They're just deep yeah. fried like popcorn. Yeah, I bit into one and the head went flying off. So the video of me, I'm like startled by like <laughs> people like, oh, did it gross you out? I was like, no, I just bit into it and I felt it like leave its body. <laughs> <laughs> I've had crickets in. Uh, I, I've had crickets a bunch of times. I think the last time I had them was in Texas. Um, in a meal, they had this like chocolate bark that was mm. filled with crickets, and they use crickets in place of like. Um, like crunchies, you know, yeah. like Rice Krispies or when you get that crunchiness. And I feel like that's all crickets are is they add, they, they add protein, but they add crunch, uh, which is, which is really good. I also had scorpion on a stick in Kaosan Road. Uh-huh. Kaosan Road's like uh, St. Mark's. Like, <laughs> it's just like, it's all bars. Like, like old St. Mark's or new yeah, St. Mark's? Yeah, it's like, old, it's bars and tar- tattoo shops. Okay. And like uh, tourist t-shirt spots. So uh, what, what does a scorpion on a stick taste like? Uh, barbecue seasoning and formaldehyde. Yeah, yeah. I, there's a there's a picture sequence of me, and I can't keep it. I didn't vomit, but I spit it out. I couldn't keep it down because of the medicinal sort too, of taste to it. Too yeah. much. You're too, not so, too many chemicals. I like because it was for Instagram. I tried. I ate the whole thing in like one bite on the stick, and that's not how you're supposed to eat it. Oh, it's like <laughs> just too much. So I, <laughs> I um, and this is this is not street food related. A friend of mine from Australia sent me a whole bunch of Vegemite. Because mm-hmm. uh, they were they were in the states for Christmas, we had them over Christmas dinner, and we got to talking about Vegemite. So they sent us like cases of Vegemite. I'm exaggerating, but really, like it was a small little lunchbox filled with Vegemite, like one packets. And the first thing I did was I took a giant spoonful of Vegemite and put it in my mouth, and you quickly regret. Oh it. my god, just it was like, like salt, right? The worst thing ever. Well, I I would equate it mostly to like you ever see the like the better than bouillon stuff, mm-hmm. like. It's like taking a spoonful of better than bouillon and eating it. Like 
if you were to take it and put a, so I, I told my Australian friends that I did this and they were like, what are you crazy? You don't do that with Vegemite. That's not how you eat Vegemite. You put it on toast with some butter or you use it to season different things. Mm-hmm. It's a seasoning. It's not like Food. a spread. Yes. So anyway, that's, that's my scorpion formaldehyde story yeah. <laughs> except with Vegemite. Um, so I, you, you need to watch this, this Netflix oh, uh, street it. food. It's really good. Uh, I I haven't watched all of the episodes. I watched. Is it all in Asia? Uh, this one is Asia. This this series this is series Asia. Is so they're doing Asia. a bunch of different series. This series is like maybe eight episodes. They're like a half hour each of Asia. So the one that I watched um, recently was Osaka, which is a city that I've had the privilege of visiting, and it is really one of. It's where I think I discovered. How awesome street food could be, and this no, is we had a konomiyaki for the konomiyaki, first time. Um, the the little octopus balls takoyaki. I had takoyaki, and just everything, yeah, everything on skewers and teppanyaki mm-hmm. and udon noodles and you know all kimamishu and like all of this but great I don't know what stuff. Is. It's um, I'm probably mispronouncing it. It's like a like a gumbo almost, okay. um, and it's not really a gumbo. It's like a rice. Dish, you know, you know what mafungo is. Mm-hmm. It's like an Asian version of mafungo, where the rice sort of is. It's served in this giant bowl. Rice is around the outside of it. On the inside of it is. Um, I had like a seafood one, so like oysters and shrimp and stuff like that, and it was it was delicious. It was really good. It's sort of like a southern Japanese thing. Cool. Um, but Osaka is a city that is. It's like the foodie city, uh, or I would say it's the not a foodie city of Tokyo or of Japan. Tokyo is sort of more fine dining. Osaka is like. Southern comfort food. And Osaka, like there are m- many sayings about how people in Osaka just live to eat and you eat until you can't stand up in Osaka and, and everything. Like that. So there's a really big street food culture there. And in Southern Japan in general, but Osaka is sort of like the capital of Southern Japan. And uh, there are just a ton of amazing places to go eat. Um, there are itzakayas, which are like the outdoor restaurants. But they're like tapas. Yeah, it's the Japanese tapas is a kind. And there's a they they feature on the Netflix series. They feature one of the most famous itzakayas. Who this guy has a line of a hundred people just waiting to sit down in his outside shack to have little pieces of sushi and teppanyaki. And he cooks with flamethrowers on grills. And he he doesn't. What's amazing is that he does this like seared tuna collar and doesn't use um, tongs because he's afraid that the tongs will like damage the delicacy of the tuna. So he dips his hand in ice water. And then just puts his hand oh, on the grill. Oh, he's a psychopath. Yeah, and well, so he's got like a blowtorch in one hand. He's got a bucket of water, a bucket of ice water and salts next to him. And then this grill with tuna collars on it. And he'll dip his hand. Sorry, I'm, I'm like going away from the microphone. I'm getting very animated in how I'm explaining this. He'll dip his hand in the water. And then he'll put his hand on the grill and move the tuna around. And he'll take his hand off. And then he'll blowtorch the top of it. And so he's cooking it from the bottom and from the top, but refuses to use tongs or anything, just uses his hand that's been in ice water. And this guy, I don't know how old he is. He looks like he's like in his 60s. And he just does this every day. (laughs) Osaka. So anyway, so there's that. I mean, there was that in the, the street food side of it. But I, what struck me with this is, is a saying that he said. He's like, you know, would you rather be the tail of a bull or the head of a chicken? And uh, I was like, what? And he goes, as well, I could have, you know, I saved up all of my money and I could have gone and worked in some restaurant someplace, but I would have been pretty much the ass end of a bull instead of I'm the head of a chicken. So I, I run this small little isakaya, which still costs, you know, a lot of money to, to operate. It's like a small restaurant. 
Um, but he'd rather be doing that than he wants to work for being, himself. Yeah. yeah, than being a cog in a thing. But he runs this place like it's a five star restaurant. Like you see him addressing his. I mean, he is. I would say that he doesn't run the place like it's very casual, and he is a joker, and he's always like yelling and screaming and joking around with the customers and telling the customers to you know empty the trash and you know just he's he's a character, right? But in the back of it, you see him talking to his staff, and he's talking to his staff about you know you don't get a cold on my time, you don't get a cold. like it's he's he's talking to his staff like. It was like he's running this amazing fine dining restaurant, even though it's a street restaurant in the middle of an alleyway in Osaka. So it's awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, and and the reviews for this this show are spectacular. The one that hit me the most was uh, the Esquire wrote a piece, and the title of it is "Netflix Street Food Fills a Bourdain Sized Hole in Food TV." Um, it's real. It's it's from the Chef's Table team, the people who produce Chef's Table. Um, they're doing this, so I, I really, I dig it. Netflix, uh, they run a lot of, um, oh my God, they, they look at all what people are watching to decide what type of programming that they're going to make. Yeah. Di- diagnostics and stats. Analytics, and yeah. Analytics, there we go. Um, and algorithms. Yeah. So <laughs> a- after Bourdain died, everyone was just watching No Reservations and Parts Unknown and everything nonstop they paid a lot more money to keep the show on and i'm sure that between that and chef's table how well that's doing yeah. they decided that to go with that did you watch the um the cooking show the like battle cooking show on netflix yeah no, i did not i'm not a big fan of battle cooking shows i my kids love them i know you love them i'm like i don't know i'm not a fan of it because I don't, I, I feel like it's not realistic. Like, yeah, okay, that's cool that you can do this, but, like, I don't care. I was watching Guy's Grocery Games. Uh-huh. Yeah, see, I'm, I, like, no, I have no desire to watch that. I'm 100% sure. And you know you how much I love that, Guy Fieri. <laughs> I would just demolish the competition. Why? Because I... So what's the premise, so first like, of all? he'll give you little, uh, it starts off with like a puzzle, like a very easy solvable puzzle. It, they, they put up like asparagus, but like one letter at a time or like asparagus without like the vowels or something. And you had to like, go get it. And like these people took forever to figure wait, out that so it was asparagus. It's to like get. a word game. No, no. But... So now they got that. You bring wait, the asparagus. Wait, but, but wait a second. Tom, back up. Just, wait, no, back up for one second. I just, I don't it's get it. Puzzles and then it's running okay. and then it's cooking. But the puzzles have nothing to do with food except the puzzles me. get you, uh, advantages. But like, it's like, go get me a vegetable that starts with A. It's not like, go get me, you know, something from the Alum family that is... No, no it's, it's, it's... No, it's Guy Fieri. It's, stop <laughs> diminishing Guy Fieri. Yeah, it's because, so, so it's Guy... he's a hero of mine. And then you run around and you get stuff and then you cook. And, like, they had a grilled meat. And this woman got a tri-tip steak. I was like, you can't grill a tri-tip steak. It's I that's mean, not the right cut. You got to marinate it yeah, for you, a long time yeah, first. So yeah. For this purpose, you can't do this. And it guess what? It came out like garbage. Okay. So I just believe that I could <laughs> I would go on guys' grocery games and demolish the competition. I I <laughs> have so many like I, I don't know. I have no desire to watch those things. I chopped I couldn't because I don't know how to make dessert. But guys, grocery games are demolish. Who everybody. and who are the contestants? Are they just everyday people, or are they chefs on guys' they, grocery, grocery sh- games? Chefs, but like, they're I would murder them. I, I know for a fact because <laughs> it, it's just such a different format. 
and I like think... I, I'm I'm deceptively fast too, and that's a big part of the game, is how fast <laughs> you are to get the ingredients. You're deceptively fast. I, I crush in. I do three miles in 18 minutes. <laughs> I, okay. On the elliptical. I cr- Yeah. <laughs> that's on the elliptical. In a real world situation where you're running around I, a grocery whatever. store. Whatever. And you got what? people elbowing you. Okay. Yeah, let them try and elbow me. <laughs> They'll elbow you yeah. in your thigh. <laughs> Mike's a big man. <laughs> I played rugby for five years. I, I just, I'm sure, I'm, I'm so confident about how well I would do on this show. <laughs> like, like, not, like. A confidence I don't have in almost About anything, anything else. else. Yeah. And Mike does not lack confidence yeah. in many areas. If you've listened to this podcast or radio show, you know that Mike does not lack confidence. But like when I just, I was beating them from the TV in I, everything. I guess I am more of a chopped person where you give me a basket and I'll figure something out. Like, yeah, is, is guys grocery games like that? So like he gives you so a bunch of ingredients. In a, no, it's the he's same in thing. Grocery ex- store, but it's the so same thing. Except you have to go. You and, have to go and get them, and then there's like, there's always like uh, things that make it more difficult, and like you'll have coupons that you can use, and like a small amount of cash. There's always things. I just know I'm smarter. Okay, I'm smarter, better trained, and like can my my cook because cooking doesn't matter that much in this. If you know about the other things, like you'll be fine. <sighs> See, that's why I don't watch these shows, because cooking doesn't like, matter. Like I that girl see... should know not to try a grill and tri-tip steak if she's a chef. And So these are chefs? They're, they call themselves chefs. <laughs> she's trying to grill a tri-tip steak in 15 minutes. I, I want to know. know who this person is. I'm going to research who this person is, and I'm going to see if I can get her on the show to confront you. And she'll be like, you, you're right. That was, a, <laughs> that was a poor decision. I didn't win guys' grocery games because I tried to grill a tri-tip steak. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, we went off the rails a little bit here, but it is important. So now the title of this segment is "Street Food and, <laughs> and Guys Grocery yeah. Games." <laughs> cool. Well, <laughs> I don't have anything to add. No, no. All right. Well, you're listening to the Not a Foodie Off the Rails Radio Show podcast. We are at Not a Foodie Show. DM us if you want to see Mike and I do a guys grocery games because I think that that's what we we need to do. I sometimes they do one uh, for Chopped at least where they'll have like normal people. I should see if they do that for guys grocery games. Just have like normal people. I'm a normal person. Yeah. No, I would be. I'll, bad I'll smoke I, you on it. Oh, apparently, if no, if cooking has nothing to do with it. I'm an old man. Like, you can run faster than I yeah, am. Yeah, I'll, I'll <laughs> smoke you. <laughs> All right. At Not A Foodie Show on Twitter and Instagram. We'll be back in a minute. Hey, everyone. It's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking for ways to reach a large, influential cooking and restaurant-loving audience? We've got multiple marketing solutions available. Contact info at notafoodie.com for more information. Hey, Mike, where are we? We're in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn at the BK Media Studio. The BK Media Studio is the home of the Not A Foodie podcast. It's so much better than my dining room table where we started this little venture. It has full video capabilities, full audio capabilities. If you're looking for a studio to record a podcast, to do an interview, to record a YouTube show, or anything, think of the BK Media Studio. The number is 917-300-9123. You can come in, take a tour, book a session tell them that the not a foodie show sent you and i'm sure we'll work out some sort of a discount bk media studio in the heart of greenpoint brooklyn right next to the g train brooklyn's most convenient studio 
And we're back. Thanks for tuning in to the Not A Foodie Show, 6.20 a.m. Radio Rampa. As always, it's Mike Morandi. Hey, and Tommy Alley. So, Tom? Yes, Mike? It's May. Yes, it is. Uh, it's spring. And spring is in the air. Tomato season. Well, tomato season is a little bit later in the summer, but tomatoes are starting to pop up now, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. So, Italian cooking is all about the simplicity of the uh, ingredients and letting the ingredients speak for themselves. Yeah. And I don't think there's a better dish that does that than a pomodoro sauce. I, I agree with you. I agree. We agree on something. Yeah. <laughs> I that, think, that, yeah. that speaks to the, uh, the strength of tomatoes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's all that does. It has look, nothing to do with me and you as no, good tomatoes. Look to the tomato to unite us. I know people who despise tomatoes, who like really can't stand tomatoes, but you give them a good tomato sauce, and and they're they're fine with it. One time, I had a lady who ordered a salad without tomatoes, but then ordered a Bloody Mary, <laughs> and like she was really sweet. She tipped twenty percent, but it still bothers me. To like like this was like yeah. six months ago, eight months ago. It still annoys me. Well, to- tomatoes are um, especially fresh tomatoes. I feel like there's nothing better. Like I really hate getting winter tomatoes and putting them on a like when I go and get a sandwich, even at a deli, I won't get mm-hmm. tomatoes on the sandwich in the wintertime because they're just, they're tasteless. They're sort of like pink, the texture's not red. Weird. Yeah, they just don't, they don't taste right. So I'm, I'm a big fan of the, the summertime tomatoes. And I will say that every state says they make the best tomatoes. There are some really good tomatoes that are grown in the Northeast here, New Jersey, mm-hmm. um, out on the farms in, on Long Island. Queens, upstate. too. Queens Queen, has some really good tomatoes. Queens yeah. County Farm does a bunch of heirloom tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. So um, you want to talk about Pomodoro yeah, sauce? Yeah, so tom- let, let's talk about making a Pomodoro sauce from scratch. We're not buying cans of uh, San Marzano tomatoes that we're crushing. We're... We're buying actual tomatoes, and we're gonna make a sauce from scratch. So I think have you have you done this before? No, you, that, you, you no, asking me? I'm asking you because if it's not that difficult, I'd like to do it. It's probably one of the easiest things in the world to do. It's <laughs> simple. It is simple. So it's five ingredients. Okay. So can you guess what they are? Tomatoes. Yep. Olive oil. Yep. Garlic, onions. Yep. Yep. Basil. Yep. Okay. That's it. Five. I, I mean, should just get that tattooed on me. That's, <laughs> that's it. I should get a sleeve of just those five things. Well, with every simple recipe, there's also a lot of little intricacies of like things that are not so simple. So tomatoes, yes. But if you're going to do fresh tomatoes, which you want to do fresh tomatoes for this, um, you should concentrate on finding specific kinds of tomatoes. Yes. So tomatoes that do not have a lot of um, water content and a lot of seeds um, are the best so I use um, plum tomatoes. Like plum tomatoes are, they are, they've got a lot of flesh, a little bit of a thicker skin, which you, makes it easier to remove because I removed the skin for these. Um, not that many seeds. So I scoop out the seeds mm-hmm. and they don't have a really heavy water content. So it's a lot of tomato pulp, but not a lot of water. Um, so I use those for this kind of a sauce. Um, so you buy like a pound? If I was going to do... For like a, din- a regular a, dinner. A dinner for like three or four people. Mm-hmm. Uh, four people, let's say, I'd probably buy two tomatoes a person. So okay. like like eight plum, to- you know, decent sized plum tomatoes. I guess that's what, like a pound, pound and a half of tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, just that, like, That's a better metric, two tomatoes per person. Okay. Yeah, I feel like two tomatoes per person is, is probably good. Um, and what I would do for, for, the, for the plum tomatoes... 
I boil them in water. So I get boiling water going. Okay, first of all, let's let's back up. Before I do any of that, I wash the tomatoes down and I take the I take a very sharp knife and I do a little crosshatch cut in the top of the tomato. The where not, the green is. Not where the green is. I was just gonna say the opposite side from where the green That's is. That's the bottom of the, the bottom tomato. of the tomato. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> the bottom of the tomato. I do a little cross like a little cross out, like a plus sign, right? With my knife. Just a tiny little one right there. Um, then what you do is you take the tomatoes, you put them in boiling water for like 30 seconds, and then you take them out and put them in ice water. So you blanch them. You're blanching them. Okay. So, and the reason that you're doing that with the, cro- bet- between that and the little crosshatch up top, you can peel the skin so, right off. So what blanching does is it cooks something and then it stops the cooking process immediately. Yeah. So, so basically what you're doing, you're not even blanching. You're doing the blanching process, but what you're doing is you're heating up the skins so that they get really, so really expanded. And then when you put them in cold water, they shrivel up really quickly. So they separate from the pulp. So you, if you do this, you can just peel the skin right off with no problem. So now you've got these great skinless <clears throat> tomatoes. Um Usually what I'll do, if they're, I'll cut the plum tomatoes up then, they're peeled plum tomatoes, I'll cut them up into quarters, and I'll look and see, first I'll cut them in half, and I'll see how many seeds are in there. If there's a lot of seeds, I'll scoop out the majority of the seeds. Um, Plum tomatoes usually don't have a lot of seeds, but I do that anyway. Uh, Then, so, then I'll cut them in half again. So basically for each tomato, I've got quarters, right? I've got four pieces from each tomato. Uh, So those are the tomatoes that you use. Put those aside for a second. The other thing that I would have to say is because you're using only five ingredients and you want all the ingredients to be as um, flavorful and as impactful as possible, find a good olive oil. Of course. Because like, that, that's going to be really what's giving you the most flavor in this, at this yeah. outside of the tomato. It's, I mean, it's the, it's the pulp and the water from the tomato mixing with the olive oil that's going to give you that flavor. Um, so... I like I don't cook with olive oil a lot. I use olive oil as like a garnish. I'll use canola oil if I'm, you know, if I don't want Grape something that's in, something that's just not going to impart flavor, a mm. very neutral oil. Olive oil, like I grew up with everybody in my family cooking with olive oil cuz I grew up in an Italian household. Um I don't use olive oil to fry things. I don't use olive unless I'm frying something that's Italian that I want that olive oil taste. So I just use um I use just a regular sort of canola oil 99% of the time. For this, for making a Pomodoro sauce, I use a really good extra virgin olive oil, like the best that I have in my house. Use a cup of it? No, no, not even. I mean, I would use probably like... Are, I, you, are you just putting it... You're just putting it down to saute I would day. use like a quarter of a cup to half a cup. So you're not just using just the two tablespoons that, mm-hmm. that are in every recipe, you know, to saute. Um, but I use a little bit more than that. I'll use probably like a quarter of a cup. Okay. Um, for that, just uh, just enough to sort of create a little bit of a pool of, of olive oil in your frying pan. So you put the olive oil in your frying pan, you get your onion. Chop your onion up, nice, dice it, nice and, uh, nice and small little pieces, and put the olive oil and the onion in the frying pan together, and I fry the onion up just for probably like three or four minutes. Like, I, I don't want that really crazy depth. You have the olive oil hot first or you put it in together? Um, usually I'll heat up the olive oil yeah. first. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll heat the olive oil first. And then I'll put the peppers in. But I don't want the olive oil really, really hot. Like, I don't want caramelization on my 
onions. Like caramelized onions are the best. And nine times out of ten, when you're putting onions in a sauce, I like I really love that caramelization. For pomodoro, you want springtime like freshness, Fresh, bright, yeah, and yeah, bright brightness. And you're gonna get that a lot of that from the acidity of the tomatoes. But you want you don't want to you you want the onions to sort of speak out and be very bright. So just a few minutes, just until the onions are soft. You want to have that. So now you've got these soft onions. Let's say two minutes you have okay. those in there. Then I would take two or three cloves of garlic, depending on the size of the cloves, I, and depending on how much garlic you like. I like a lot of garlic. I would mince the garlic up as finely as you can, and I would put that in the pan after the onions have been in for two minutes. Um, you do not want your garlic to go in at the same time as your onions. Every recipe I see is like, oh, put onions and garlic in together. Garlic burns very quickly, and onions can sustain heat for a very long period of time. So always do your onions first, then leave an extra minute for your garlic. So put your garlic in, stir it around a lot for a minute to prevent it from burning, um, and then to bring the temperature of the oil down, then you put your tomatoes in there. And you just stir around your your tomatoes for a while. I mean, and they break down. And they'll break down. Your... I sort of like, yeah. I sort of like chop them up a little bit. But you leave them in there. Turn the heat down to low. And depending on what kind of tomatoes you have, and depending on the water that's inside of your tomatoes, it's probably like twenty to thirty minutes for regular plum tomatoes. Maybe forty minutes if you're going to use a- any kind of more watery tomato. Just let it simmer. Let it simmer on the stovetop. Um, very, very low heat. You're just basically trying to break down some of the tomato pulp, like meld the flavors, and then, um, and and just evaporate the water. So you want that concentrated flavor. And then, I mean, that's pretty much it. I said it's only five ingredients, but I have a, I have a little hack. Well, you just garnish with basil, right? You garnish with the basil, yeah. yeah. Um, But I have a hack for the sauce, which is, I'll put a pat of butter in the sauce because butter makes everything good. Um, just make sure you whisk it around because then it'll incorporate everything and it'll give the the, the sauce just a little bit of a silkier mm-hmm. sort of feel, um, just a little bit of a richer feel. And and that's really it. I mean, I feel like it's, it's one of these really simple springtime, summertime dishes that you can throw together in 20, 30 minutes. And I, I, I mean, I can't think of any better like springtime comfort meal. Yeah, way better than pasta primavera. Oh, yeah, I hate pasta primavera. I am not a fan of pasta primavera. Is that, I mean, is pasta primavera, first of all, I guess carrots in pasta like that, I don't oh, like. I don't make it with carrots. Some people make it with yeah. carrots. What do you make it with when you make pasta primavera? Eggplant and zucchini and onions and just oil and garlic. Yeah. It's essentially just eggplant and zucchini in a in a pasta when I make it. I, um, I mean... I am not a big fan of putting lots of vegetables into my pasta. Um, I guess the one exception, I love um, pasta alla norma. That's uh, the eggplant pasta, Yeah, right? that's eggplant. That's Sicilian. It's basically eggplant. Um, you use ricotta salata, which is like the hard ricotta cheese. Um, you've got the eggplant. Sometimes I'll like char the eggplant. Um, and I like to make it spicy. Like you use a lot of chilies in something like that. So, and I would say that pasta alla norma is, it's not the opposite. It's like a, it's the distant, saltier, spicier cousin of a pomodoro. Like you're adding, you're using tomatoes, but you're adding uh, the addition of eggplant and spicy and, you know, and stuff like that. 
So, any any questions? Any questions? To, I really to my want student to go wants to, to pasta? the farmers market and just get a bunch of weird heirloom tomatoes and make an heirloom pomodoro. So you could do that. You absolutely can do that with any type of tomato that you want. Like green and yellow and orange and red and I like, zebra. I don't know that you're gonna. So first of all, you're you're using you're getting rid of the skin, and you're having this. You know, you're using the pulp. Mm-hmm. And heirloom tomatoes. I mean, some some varietals are different than others, but heirloom tomatoes, in my experience, have always been. They have a lot of seeds in there. There's a lot of water in them. So. You're buying this gigantic tomato, and you're only using a little bit of it. I don't. I've done it before. Made a sauce with heirloom tomatoes. I felt like it was more, not more work. It was a waste of the heirloom tomato. Like a good heirloom tomato, I'd rather have sliced up on like a BLT, which is the way it's meant to be. Eight. Yeah, eight. Yes, the way eaten. It's eaten. <laughs> um, but I go to the farmers market and the plum tomatoes. You usually in. July and August, you can go to farmers markets and buy a crate of plum tomatoes because for a dollar. Yeah, I mean that's what because that's what they're used for. They're used for making sauce. Like if you're gonna jar sauce, that's that's what you do. Or you if you're gonna make tomato paste, um, that's what you do. So tomato paste is pretty much you do the same process that I was you know talking about before with peeling the skins, taking the seeds out, and then you just mash up the tomatoes, put them on a cooking sheet, and slow roast them for a long time till all the water evaporates, and and that's tomato paste right there. So, I would say if you're going to do something like going to the farmers market, go and buy just a bunch of plum tomatoes instead of doing heirloom tomatoes. And then what pasta do you like to do with it? I like to do um, Nazi. Uh, I'm I'm out of it. I can't think of a single word today. <laughs> The rigatoni. Rigatoni? Yeah. I think, so rigatoni I love with pasta alla norma um, because I feel like the sauce is a little bit thicker with that. With the pomodoro, sometimes I, I, I think I like to do like a spaghetti. Um, Cla- I, yeah. Classic. Just, just a classic. And I don't, I'm not a spaghetti person. Like, typically I, I think there were so many other noodles that are better than spaghetti that are better suited for what you would normally use spaghetti for. But I feel like for pasta primavera, I want. Prima, I'm sorry, pasta pomodoro. I want spaghetti, spaghetti pomodoro. We didn't even talk about the basil. When you garnish with basil, what do you do usually? Fresh basil on top. How do you How do you do it? Pop, pop, pop. Just, nope. No. No. Mike is Mike is dealing cards on yeah. top of his pasta. I'm, he's rip, taking, I'm ripping off the basil and I'm. He's ripping off whole it. ones. Yeah. So you can do that for show because you eat with your eyes first. But what I usually do is I do a chiffonade. Mm-hmm. Of do, do you know what a chiffonade yes. is? Can you tiny explain little, to our audience? Tiny little cuts of basil ribbon. Yes, it's tiny cuts of basil. So you take five or six basil leaves, put them on top of one another, roll them up into like a little joint. joint. <laughs> you roll them up into a little tube and then just thin slice thin ribbons and take that, put it in the pasta and toss it around the pasta and then garnish with one or two or three basil leaves per well, plate. When I make a sauce, I like to just drop the whole basil in there. I do too, depending on what kind of sauce I'm making. If I'm making a sweet sauce, I'll I'll drop a whole you know stem of mm-hmm. basil. It's got like seven or eight leaves on it. I'll just drop it right in the pot. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'll even take it out at a certain point. If I'm, it's going to be a long simmer and I don't want the sauce to get too sweet or too basil tasting, I'll take it out. Um, some people in uh, in Pomodoro they use other herbs. They'll use oregano, things like that. 
I feel like if you're gonna go full on garden just make spring, a yeah, well, just do yeah, do the pomodoro with with just basil. I feel like it makes it simple and and easy. So that's it. What's the difference between a marinara sauce and a pomodoro sauce? Um, I feel like a marinara, a pomodoro. I don't know what what if there's a clinical definition. I'm sure that there is. Um, but in my opinion. Pomodoro is more tomato focused and fresh with there's more mm-hmm. chunks of tomato where a marinara is the milled tomatoes that are sort of on the stove the for a paste. long time. You use a paste. It's got a deeper flavor. Um, spicy. It can be spicy. Can be, oh, fine. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Pomodoro, I don't usually think of spicy. No, I'm not putting any red pepper in my Pomodoro, but I'm definitely putting red pepper in my uh, marinara. marinara. Yeah. So I that's sort of, I guess that would be the difference for me. I don't know. We should we should look it up and figure it out. Um, but I think I feel like marinara is the base for like a meat sauce mm-hmm. whereas a pomodoro is is a vegetarian. It's a vegetarian. It's vegan. Yeah, I guess it's vegan if you're not going to put any cheese on top of it. And if but I always garnish with if cheese. If you're getting box pasta which has no egg, it's totally vegan. Yeah. Yeah. But I uh if I'm going to make a good fresh pomodoro you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a good fresh pasta. That's why you have spaghetti because you can't make rigatoni. Uh, I can't make rigatoni. I've got a pasta extruder. Okay. It just stinks. I don't like. I don't like to use it. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. Perfect. So your homework: go to the farmer's market, pick up some plump tomatoes, make a sauce, send us photos. Did you say plump tomatoes? Plum tomatoes. Plum tomatoes. Yes. Plump. Plum tomatoes. There's a big difference between plump tomatoes and plum tomatoes. So make it and send us photos and tell us what you did, if you did anything different than what we do. And let's eat some Pomodoro sauce. Happy springtime. (laughs) This is the Not A Foodie Show on Radio Rampa, at Not A Foodie Show on Twitter and Instagram. We'll be back in a minute. Hey everyone, it's Tom from the Not A Foodie Show. Are you a small business looking for ways to reach a large, influential cooking and restaurant loving audience? We've got multiple marketing solutions available. Contact info at notafoodie.com for more information. Hey, Mike, where are we? We're in beautiful Greenpoint, Brooklyn at the BK Media Studio. The BK Media Studio is the home of the Not A Foodie podcast. It's so much better than my dining room table where we started this little venture. It has full video capabilities, full audio capabilities. If you're looking for a studio to record a podcast, to do an interview, to record a YouTube show, or anything, think of the BK Media Studio. The number is 917-300-9123. You can come in, take a tour, book a session, tell them that the Not A Foodie Show sent you, and I'm sure we'll work out some sort of a discount. BK Media Studio in the heart of Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Right next to the G train. Brooklyn's most convenient studio. And we're back. Thanks for tuning in to the the Not A Foodie Show, Radio Rampa, 620 AM. That was very energetic. I liked it. And we're at Not A Foodie Show on Instagram and Twitter. It's Mike Moranti. That was Tom Miale. Hi. So, our favorite segment. And your favorite segment at home. Everyone's favorite segment. <laughs> what are we drinking this week? What are we drinking this so week? So, Mike, it is, it's Saturday. You just got finished recording a long day of radio show, food and food culture radio show and podcast. What are you drinking tonight? 
I'm gonna have somebody make me a Ramos gin fizz. What? Uh, wait, that's so. There's a lot to unpack. There's a there. lot of words there. That's a lot to unpack. So first of so all, I'm gonna break it down. I well, why are you having someone make it for you? You can make drinks. I don't. So like, sometimes I can make a lasagna, but I also sometimes don't want to have to go through the process of making lasagna. Okay. I just want to eat lasagna. So the second part is. Uh, that a Ramos gin, gin like I feel like I've heard of a gin fizz. I feel I've heard of a slow gin fizz. I'm not a thousand percent sure of how to make a fizz. I know what it is when I drink it, but like so, yeah. that's a lot of words. So what is a what is a Ramos gin fizz? So we're, we we got to backtrack a little bit. A okay. sour, okay, like a whiskey sour, a pisco sour. But is this a sour? This drink? Yes. Okay. So a, a sour is egg white, simple syrup. And acid, lemon or lime juice, or both. Okay. So that, plus your uh, spirit. So whiskey sour is whiskey with that. And uh, just all mixed together. Mm hmm. Okay. It's um, not like, like I'm, I remember growing up, there's always sour mix. Yeah. So house, sour mix was made afterwards so people wouldn't have to go through, through, go all, through all that. Okay. But it's really not that much. Egg white's a little messy if you don't know what you're doing, but it's not that bad. Excuse me, I got the hiccups. Um, <laughs> so. With that, the most important thing about making a sour is called the dry shake. It's where you have all your ingredients, your egg whites, your sour, your, your acid, your simple, your liquor, and you shake the, the life out of it. Okay. And that makes the foam for a sour. That's how you make a sour. Then you add the ice to make it a cold cocktail, and you double strain it, and then your pisco sour is done. You put some... Uh, pisco sour, or whatever sour yeah. you're having, yeah. You put some Angostura bitters on top, you make some art, beautiful. Uh, okay, so that's, a, that's, so that's how you make a sour. sour. What does that have to do with a Ramos gin fizz? A fizz mm -hmm. is a sour in a Collins glass with seltzer. Okay, so, so you're, just adding, you're just adding seltzer uh -huh. to it. Okay, cool. Um, and so where's the Ramos come in? So Henry Ramos uh -huh. owned a bar in NOLA in the late 1800s. In New Orleans? NOLA, Nolans. Nolans. Jazz Fest is going on right now, by the way. Shout out to like all of my friends that are down in Jazz Fest that's that are not listening yeah. to this right now. Um. So it's it's gin, it's two ounces of gin, uh -huh. a half ounce of lime, a half ounce of lemon, a half ounce of simple syrup, okay, a couple of drops of uh, orange flower water. Orange flower water? It, it's like a tincture. It's not alcoholic. Okay. It's just f like flavor. Okay, like rose water yeah. or something like that. Egg white. Okay. So nothing crazy, right? Right. Heavy cream. Heavy cream. Heavy cream. An ounce of heavy cream. Ooh. Thinking of drinking heavy cream while I'm in New Orleans right now is not... Uh... So, <laughs> yeah, you can't drink many of these. Yeah, but you, you can't can drink... drink them when it's really, really hot out either. Yeah, so you put all this together, you dry shake the bejesus out of it. So dry shake again is all of the ingredients with no with ice, the, uh -huh. and you got, really got to shake it. So you're like, you're whipping this up. Like, yes. Is that, is that the goal for it to come out with like a really heavy consistency? So like... it, it almost looks like an avalanche. Okay. Oh, it, okay. So it, it, it's it, almost like whipped cream. Yeah, like it is. It is visually one of like the sexiest things like you'll see in a cocktail because <laughs> you're, you're just like, what? How? How did that come from this? Right. Uh, so when when Henry Ramos at his bar, he had a whole line of young kids uh -huh. that were just shaking, and they would just pass them down and just shake. When one got tired, the next one would go and just like, <laughs> it's like for, for an hours, assembly line hours, of people cocktails. would travel just to get one of these cocktails. 
Wow. So he had an assembly line of people just shaking, and then I guess he would pour like ice over and, and whatever. Yeah, well, you, okay, so let's let's finish the drink. So you've got the dry shake going. Then you, you add the ice. Henry Ramos's assembly line, which is the mm-hmm. exact opposite of batch cocktailing. Um, he's making instead of making one big batch for a whole bunch of people, he's making individual cocktails for everybody, which it's the only way you can make this drink. Yeah, right? yeah. you can't batch this. Okay, so he's got all of the ingredients. You've got these these kids shaking mm-hmm. the the glass. They dump it out like an avalanche, and then what comes next? Um, then you just add a little bit of seltzer. Uh, you, you take you put seltzer in the uh, the tins uh-huh, to in get the whatever's left. Okay, and you pour that in, so it has a little bit of fizz to it. So it, it's this really insane. Just drink that's been around for, you know, like 200 years. Wow. And now I know why you are going to pay somebody to make yeah, this for you. Yeah, and tip very well. Yeah. Because that's, uh, it, it's not a nice drink to have to, uh, to have to make for make. somebody. Yeah. How, how, um, how long do you have to shake, do you think? I have no, probably like five minutes. Like, really? <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's, I mean, you, if to get the consistency that you're talking about, you're whipping that cream with the egg whites to uh, get that foam. I'm going to go to a friend so they won't be that mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> so this is not if it's not on the menu don't order it at a bar unless you are really it, good friends with the bartender yeah like you have to go to a cocktail well I mean if you go to like just a random restaurant I would just be like sorry like <laughs> we don't have heavy cream yeah like, you know like can't make that well I your drink is labor intensive um, and it takes probably five minutes my drink is not labor intensive um, well it probably takes a little bit more than five minutes but it also takes 40 days so are you making your own beer? Are you home brewing? <laughs> I'm not. I'm I'm home. It, it's not really brewing, I guess. I am going to make, this is the time of year for um, Van du Pamplemousse, which is grapefruit wine is how it's translated. But it's a it's a French aperitif uh, that I've made a few times. I, did, have you ever had any of my Van du Pamplemousse? Yeah, you gave me a bottle last year. Oh, cool. Did you like it? Yeah, I liked it a lot. I brought it to work. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, you. so you know what it is. It's basically, it's a grapefruity sort of aperitif. It's a combination of wine, citrus, and alcohol. And this is the time of year to make it because if you make a batch of it now, make like, you know, a case of it now, and then you'll be drinking it all summer and it's delicious. So Vendu Pamplemousse is, um, it can be made a number of different ways, but the, the classic recipe that I've used is three ruby grapefruits, the ruby red grapefruits, Three white grapefruits, which are just like I call regular grapefruits, I guess. Um, four lemons, and you slice them really, really thin. So slice all of the on? citrus with the skin on. The skin has to stay on. That's where you get all of the sort of oils and mm-hmm. the, the flavor from. So slice everything really, really thin so there's a lot of surface area. Throw it all into a sterilized bucket. Then split a vanilla bean. You know, the inside of vanilla bean is where you get all the good stuff from. So you split a vanilla bean, you throw that in the bucket. Two, then um, you use a sweetener. So I use granulated sugar, three cups of granulated sugar. Some people use like sugar in the raw or you know whatever kind of you other just, sweeteners you, you just want. You use Domino's. I'm just yeah, cause I cause I'm not fancy when I'm making my Vin du mousse. I have uh, I, I use regular sugar, regular star store bought sugar. Uh, <laughs> then you put, you add the alcohol. So. On top of all of that, you've got your citrus and you've got your sugar and your vanilla bean. You add five liters of wine. So most of the time people use a Sancerre for this. Too expensive. I mean, people, you can use any sort of Sauvignon Blanc. Um, yeah, I would, I would buy either like a $10 uh, 
a bottle of New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc or like um, a bomber, a magnum of something. Yeah, it doesn't have to be expensive because it's going to be sitting it, it around. It shouldn't be expensive. No, it shouldn't be. Um, I, I've seen people use rosé. Like you, they go out and buy cheap rosé, which I think would be really nice. Like it'll add a little bit of color to Are it. Are you going to do it with rosé this year? I might just because I've got some cases of rosé sitting in my garage that I haven't from you know, last year. From, from last summer, you should yeah. taste it and make sure it's even like drinkable. I know. Well, if it's, I know I will. I definitely will. <laughs> um, so five liters of wine, then a liter of vodka. So a whole liter of vodka goes into the bucket as well, and and that's it. You just you've got this big potion sort of in a giant you know Home Depot bucket. Uh, you cover it with plastic wrap. Uh, make sure that it's sealed so nothing can get in. And sanitized. And make sure that everything is sanitized. And then you just sort of you put it away. You put it away in a cool dark place. Put it away in your basement for for forty days. Um, and for the first maybe four or five days, maybe a week, you've got to go in and stir it up every day just to make sure that the sugar dissolves. But once the sugar is dissolved, all you're doing is like letting it sit, letting the flavors meld, letting the alcohol suck all of the citrus oils out of the, the oranges and grapefruit and everything like that. Um, and then after 40 days, you've got this really great Vindu Pompomousse that you just strain it and put it into sterilized wine bottles, cork it up, and it'll last you you know all summer. Um, and I, I use it in cocktails. I use it as an aperitif. I use it just for, for everything. Yeah. I um, What did I do? I took it. I put it over ice. I added a little bit of seltzer and some lemon. A lemon wedge. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. I mean, I, that's, I do that as just a general sort of, you know, spritzer sort of drink. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also made cocktails with it where I'll either substitute it for a Montenegro or I'll add it to Montenegro, depending on how I want the flavor to be. So Montenegro is a very citrusy, grapefruity um, Amaro. Amaro. Um, so it's it's a great cocktail mixer, but it really is just a perfect little drink to, to have during the you summertime. You can also do Radlers with them. What's a, what's a Radler? Beer and juice. Beer and juice. Yeah. Okay. So, so like you mix beer, it's like a beer cocktail? Yeah, or it's, like, it's a, like beer and lemonade, like a shandy. Oh, okay. Well, beer and, yeah. Okay. So I guess I, I guess I would do that. I'm yeah. trying to think what With kind a half of beer. Bison? You'd have to do something really light. Mm-hmm. You do something or really light. you could do a super grapefruit forward, hazy, crazy like IPA, and then add that in. Yeah, it might be that's going to be really alcoholic. That that I mean, not that that's bad with that. The vanilla, the vanilla also comes out a lot too. So you got to think of the vanilla profile. Mm. But I, like I don't that. think you're adding like, you know, you're adding like two three ounces. You're not adding a, a whole glass of it. Right. No. Well, I think I mean it's it's a great. It's just a great sort of staple of the bartender's, you know, shelf to have in your house to to use, and it's it's really uh, simple to make, and it makes a great summer. Does it gift. stay good for a while too? It stays good for, I mean, for months. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I've I've had it, you know, I've had it a year later, and it's mm-hmm. you can tell that there's a little bit different. I mean, the flavor profile changes, but it's not bad. Yeah, that that's what I mean. Like, it's not like... No, I mean, there's disgusting. so much sugar and so much alcohol in it that it sort of self-preserves. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, honestly, really, we've we've never had bottles last past the summer because they make perfect gifts for people at barbecues. You go to a barbecue, you bring a bottle of this homemade hooch, and people are like, what is that? And you tell them, and they're like, oh, you're so fancy. <laughs> <laughs> and even though it's not fancy, it's like wine that was, or it's an aperitif that was made in a Home Depot bucket. <laughs> Some might say that's the fanciest. It is the fanciest of buckets. <laughs> the Home Depot. <laughs> it's got depot in the name, which is French. 
<laughs> on that note. On that note. Thanks I, for tuning in with I us. Think it's, I think it's time to go. <laughs> so at, if, if, I was going to say, show. if anybody wants Vinda Pumplemousse, just DM us, at Not A Foodie Show, on Twitter, on Instagram. I'm going to throw up on the Instagram me making some Vinda Pumplemousse. Yeah. And we'll put the recipe up on the blog, so... That's it. Thanks for listening. This is the Not A Foodie Show. I'm Tom. I'm Mike. And that's Mike. I'm not Mike. That's Mike. See you next week.